Good morning, afternoon, evening, whenever you're listening to this to Vikings Territory Breakdown. I'm your congenial host, Joe Oberly, and here with uh, my producer, Mike Waldeman, in the background, and he's he's pushing all the buttons to get this out to you. <clears throat> and we're with our other co-host, uh, as always, Mark Craig, uh, esteemed NFL writer for the Star Tribune newspaper and startribune.com. Uh, for many, many years, holds the only uh, NFL Hall of Fame vote in town. So we're, we're happy he's here talking to us. And he's also the back page writer for Minnesota Golfer Magazine, which I should mention. And uh, for, for you know, self-serving reasons, of course, but uh, and an author of a book. But I've, got, I've written three books, so I beat him there. But his is about Vikings, so you guys don't care about mine. So anyway, Mark, uh, welcome. How you doing, brother? Geez, Joe, it takes uh, on the first tee. It takes less time to introduce Tiger Woods than uh, you you introducing me. Yes, I'm feeling like Phil Mickelson over here, you know, and and the famous scene when when they're going through Tiger's list of victories and he's teeing off with Phil and Phil's over there. All right, all right, it's one of my favorite all time golf. There's that rivalry, but yeah, it's like that's like you and me. Next time, I think uh, we'll have yeah, right do that on the first tee but uh you know what a difference a week makes in the world of minnesota vikings you know week one you right? doubted them yeah. you doubted them I, 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 I told I, you i know i knew as you know 10 seconds in i thought i'd hear about that thanks mark but uh uh week one we thought the season was over you know had no no thoughts that they might even go out and win in uh arizona they should have won week one they should have won in arizona so then we really thought the season was over at least i did apparently <laughs> And, uh, you know, they come in, you know, Mark said, no, they're going to win. And, and they turned it around. What did you see that uh, going into the game that uh, that buoyed your uh, your support of the, the purple against the Seattle Seahawks? I uh, first of all, they were home and it was going to be a stadium that uh, hadn't had fans in it since 2019. I thought that would make a huge difference. And it did. And also, I, lo I love the way the offensive line played against Arizona. I love the way Kirk Cousins played because of the offensive line. Uh, I never really thought the entire week because I picked, I made the pick, or you know, on Tuesday. Um, now, when Dalvin was listed as out, he didn't practice on Friday. I, but he didn't practice on Friday. I was thinking uh, he would not play uh, because when a guy doesn't do anything on Fridays, typically they don't play. Now it makes you a little nervous, but I still thought that the way they played in Arizona, uh, that they would beat Seattle at home. Now, if it had been out in Seattle, I would have picked Seattle. A long time. Uh a writer and observer, you know, tries not to be swayed by uh, sentiment that goes flowing through the purple nation biosphere, I guess. Instead, you're looking for maybe trends that you see are sustainable. And, and we saw an improved offensive line each week, didn't we, in those first two games? And that, that gave them hope maybe against well, it, it Well, it wasn't slow improvement. It was horrible against uh, – Cincinnati, the penalty, the six holding penalties, five of which I think were accepted. Uh, the false starts, they weren't all, they weren't all on the offensive line, but uh, they played high, they played tentative, uh, they got run over, and a lot of that had to do with down and distance. But they came out against Arizona and was a different offensive line, I thought. And then I thought they were even better against Seattle. Now they got a big one against the Browns because they got a you know a better defensive line, I feel. Um, but yeah, it, this is what they can do when they can control the situation with uh, what any team can do when you can control the game with an offensive line. 
since we're talking offensive line, why is this happening? What 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 was the change? I mean, was the was the first game just uh, a new unit together, not sure of themselves, not ready, not whatever, but now we're possibly seeing uh, the, the offensive line that we're going to go forward with. I mean, they don't have either one of the rookies they drafted in there. They've got uh, some of these cat, not cast offs, but guys they drafted in the later rounds, you know, Udo and, and uh, Rashad Hill that are all of a sudden looking, you know, maybe like they were the person the Vikings were thinking about when they picked them up. Why, why do you think that their change is going on there? Well, I mean, Rashad Hill's a guy that picked up off the Jacksonville practice squad at the end of a season probably five years ago now. Uh, he's a swing tackle. I mean, I, I, let's just like we didn't throw him in the garbage in week one or or two when they lost, let's not put him in, in the Hall of Fame in week three. Oh, uh, they're playing very well together. I think Udo is – and, yeah, that, that first game, I mean, you look at how the NFL offseason and preseason goes now. They held, Udo was a guy who had seven – games in his career never started a game they held him out uh with all the starters in that first preseason game that's uh, you know i i guess that's what they have to do now but that's mm -hmm. getting guys ready for the season anymore you're just kind of like let's just stay healthy and then we'll start getting into game shape once the season starts that's totally different than how things used to be so yeah you're, the offensive line hadn't really played together um in that in the preseason very much so yeah, uh, we're seeing what they can do. Now, you know, we'll be sitting here next week. If Miles Garrett has four sacks again, four and a half sacks again, we'll be saying, oh, Rashad Hill, we got to get him out of there. Um, it's a week-to-week -week thing. It's just uh, matchups mean a lot. Uh, against Arizona, I thought that they changed the game plan a lot to help Rashad Hill, uh, you know, like they maybe they should have done in Cincinnati. More tight ends, more receivers chipping them running backs, helping, uh, you know, going quicker to the other side, throwing it over his head, uh, Chandler Jones. Uh, so the game plan got better in week two as well. And then I think that uh, they got rolling in the, toward the middle part of the second quarter against Seattle. And then just, uh, you know, they, they were dominating in that fourth quarter with those long runs from, from Madison. So, so you said the game plan changed, uh, obviously. So that's, you know, that you would think on the service level, the Vikings are going to want to continue to do that, you know, especially with Cleveland coming to town. But Cleveland's going to assume that, and they're going to try to counteract that. What's What do you do that the Vikings have to tweak again just to, you know, in anticipation of that potentiality? What do you think? Well, I think they got to treat Miles Garrett like they did Chandler Jones. Um, you know, a lot of it's, you know, this game is – you try it is a complicated game, but sometimes you overcomplicate it. I mean, I think the difference in the way the offensive line played against Cincinnati, there was a lot – physically they were different. They just played lower. They played faster. They were – you know, things just uh, – it seemed, almost seemed like they were pissed off that they played the way they did and you know, taking the heat that they're taking, uh, and they just stepped it up. And I think that it has a big part of it as well as, you know, there was some changes made, but you know, a lot of this game is just – emotion and how you play not making mistakes i mean since they had 12 penalties in that first game they've only and in two games since then they've only had seven penalties i believe and one of those penalties was a taking a delay of game at the end of at the end of this game so that they could you know hunt the ball away when they're already when they've already won so really only six penalties the penalties themselves is an amazing transition i gotta tell you just looking at you on the screen here i, I watched the movie citizen kane last night 
I don't know if you know if you're familiar with it, but it's got all these ceiling shots, and that's I see a lot of your ceiling there. I'm not seeing your Orson Welles or look like him, um, but uh, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm just trying to bring bring some class to this uh, podcast, and you're already doing it. I mean, we're at Citizen Kane level, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I guess so, yeah. <laughs> I got nothing for you, Joe. That's all right. That's all right. Uh, my my mind, I went right to Orson Welles, so yeah. So. <laughs> Salted. Uh, I could have called the Alfred Hitchcock, but I didn't do that. Uh, let's see. Uh, well, let's get into what went right. Pretty much uh, everything for a while, but there's some problems early. Russell Wilson was dealing in that first half, and you know, they got over like 300 yards in offense going. And, and uh, you know, he was really picking on uh, Breland with, with DK Metcalf. And, you know, in fact, at one point after they scored when, when Metcalf was – playing way off, and he said, don't see a cornerback pedaling in the end zone from the 10-yard line very often. Way too soft coverage from Breland there. Got to do better or try something else. Well, you know, is, is that Breland, you know, afraid and doing his own thing, or is that is that they say, hey, play off him? Why did that happen? And what was going on there, Mark? Well, I think that's Breland being so afraid of the – because, you know, DK Metcalf is, you know, he's tight end sized. Yeah. I think that's being afraid of the fade – and not realizing that when he's backpedaling, but when Wilson completes that pass, I think Breland is in the end zone. <laughs> so uh, it was a ridiculous way to play that. And, uh, you know, it's an easy pitch and catch touchdown. Uh, now, uh, Metcalf's an earlier long catch that he had, he, he totally faked out. It was one of the first times we saw Peterson not, you know, uh, do what he's supposed to uh, other than the touchdown in uh, Arizona. But he got faked out to the outside, and then Metcalf ran a great route to the inside and, and had a big gain. Uh, yeah, Metcalf had, what, five catches for 88 yards and a touchdown in the first 16 minutes of that game. After that, he had one catch for 19 yards. That's an adjustment made, huh? Yeah. It's, a, it's an adjustment, but it's also the offense. I mean, people say, you know, well, hey, why did they play? Why did, what did the defense do differently in in the second half? Well, yeah, they played well. Uh, Everson Griffin had that sack at, at a key moment. He had a pressure in the play before that, and they went. Oh, uh, Seattle went over three in the second half on, on third down. But also, they only had the ball for seven minutes. The offense held the ball for twenty-three minutes in the second half. So, and they and they and they score. And give the kicker credit whenever they didn't score a touchdown. He he banged it through a week after, you know, that low moment for him. So, uh, it's all complimentary stuff, and it. Uh, this is what you can be whenever your your offensive line's playing well, your defensive line is playing well, your kicker's making the kick, and your quarterback is playing lights out. Which is the uh, uh, the dream scenario for for Zimmer. That's what he, he imagined in his offense, isn't it? To you know, ball control, keep the other team off offense off the field, let your defense you know handle what, keep them rested. That's 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 kind of what he's been looking for since he's been here, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I, and I think he's even surprised about, especially you know, your best player offensively is not on the field. Uh, I'm sure there's some nerves there about that. And to do this, I mean, imagine that. Uh, Dalvin Cook's their best offensive player. You know, no offense to Kirk Cousins, but Dalvin Cook is their all-pro guy. And Zimmer gets to the end of the game and says, this is the best offense I've seen in eight years. Uh, and that doesn't mean that Dalvin Cook shouldn't play it means this is what you can do if you're playing well on the offensive line, your quarterback's playing well, your quarterback's playing fast, physically, mentally. I mean, he's seeing things, he's reacting, he's 
But a lot of that is because he's not doesn't have it, he doesn't have people in his face. So this is what you can do when you can control uh, the line of scrimmage. You know, it, it, Wilson was dealing early, and 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 the Vikings after that first drive, which was a great drive, they they stopped answering the scores, and it looked like a, a, a foot race. And you need both shoes for a foot race, but Kirk at one point <laughs> didn't have his. And I was already writing a headline, Vikings get knocked out of their shoes, so I was already out. But uh, they righted the ship. And, um, you know, we always hear about adjustments. And I talk about halftime adjustments. Sometimes we see them materialize in the field, and other times they don't. Um, this was dramatic. Uh, can, can you pinpoint or is, has, has Zimmer uh, elaborated in any way on – and what they did differently, did he just chew their ass out? Did he just, uh, you know, uh, tell them to stop freelancing? What, what went on, you know, for the Vikings to have such a dramatic shift from the first half to the second half in that on their defense? Yeah, I, I think one, like like I said, one was they were only on the field for about seven, seven and a half minutes or whatever it was. The other thing you know, Zimmer did mention was that the, you know, some of the guys were freelancing. Uh, I think one of the things he's referring to, uh, I don't know if you uh, remember – before that 30-yard touchdown run by Seattle, I mean, Russell Wilson saw something immediately, and there was kind of a hole on that left side of the offensive line. Uh, maybe Kendricks is playing a little too inside. I don't know. Um, but there's this gap, and he makes all these motions, and they they call he calls that play, calls checks out of whatever he's going to run. And uh, Carson hits a 30-yard touchdown that was easy. Well, on that play, Kendricks fills the wrong gap. I mean – uh, that gap's already taken care of. I, my assumption is that he's supposed to play the next gap um, and fell for a move or something that uh, Carson kind of hip, hipped and went to the outside um, to the next hole, where, which should have been Kendrick's. Well, he got caught in traffic inside, and that's a 30-yard touchdown. Well, that's, you know, that's something that when this team starts to fall apart, it's always the run defense where the first crack happens, um, and that – you know, at that point, I don't know what it is, uh, the score, but it's, it could be getting away from them. Now, a huge play in that game was it's 17-7. Seattle gets a three and out with a sack, and then uh, but they have a holding penalty, which gives the Vikings a first down. The Vikings go 70 yards, 73 yards for a touchdown on a, you know, just start chewing up the, the field, and that game became a completely different game. Um. Uh, you're exactly right. And for me, one of the things I saw was that the, the pressure on Wilson really increased. I mean, to see him, and it was probably more later in the game, but to see him uh, just kind of lost back there because he, he, I think they got to him enough times where he was sensing the rush and he wasn't as just, you know, Aaron Rodgers like sitting back there picking his spots. He was, he was kind of looking around and concerned and, and, and throwing desperation passes. It was like, my goodness, what a difference frontline pressure makes. And maybe this, this defensive line is really starting to come into its own a little bit. Yeah, I mean, there was one. There was one thing I was watching for the, you know, for the Star Tribune for the things I do. Uh, the five extra points the next day. One was him outside the pocket. The, the contrast between what they had to deal with in Arizona, a twenty-four-year-old Kyler Murray compared to a thirty-two-year-old. Uh, this is the difference in eleven NFL seasons. We saw it because uh, thirty-two years old when he le- he only left the pocket I think seven times. And the only time he really hurt him was on the very first play of the game. They did a bootleg, and they hit a 24-yard pass to uh, Metcalf. After that, uh, he left, I think, for passes, 0 for 3, I think, 0 for 4, uh, got outside the pocket and just threw it away. He had no one to throw to, just threw it away. So that means the Vikings downfield aren't worried about him taking off and running. They're staying on their receivers. 
Uh, so there's no nothing for him to do, and the and the defensive line can can chase him down. Kyler Murray, you couldn't do that; he'd be gone. Uh, and then he ran three times, and you know, just out of desperation, and gained like two yards, one yards, and four yards. So he was a non-factor outside the pocket, and you know that's uh, you know credit because as we've seen over the years, this guy was seven and zero against the Vikings. He could pretty much toy with him when he needed to to win a game, and he couldn't do that. This time. Yeah, he got outrushed by someone across the line. I got to talk about the elephant in the room. It was always the elephant in the room on this podcast when I was with my friend and uh, co-podcaster, Joe Johnson, who who loved Kirk Cousins. And it just breaks my heart that he's not around to see this performance from Kirk's first three games. I mean, we went from the season being over after week one to season at, at after game three. They're talking about Kirk as an MVP. I think it's a little bit premature. But well, I when you're one, yeah. When you're one and two, you can't be MVP, can you? No, you can't. <laughs> I think Joe would still be uh, leading that yeah. bandwagon, though. Anyway, uh, Cousins had a great first half. Sixteen. To, this is in the first half. Sixteen to twenty. One eighty-five. Three DT. Three TDs and no picks for a, a one forty-four point eight rating. My goodness. I mean, most players would kill for that in a game, you know, and, and he got that in the first half and really kept him in it. So we're until the defense turned it around. Uh, what's the anti-Kirk crowd going to do with this, Mark? He's playing really well right now, and he, and he had a great flipping game on Sunday. Well, my guess, if you, if I had to guess what the anti-Kirk crowd will go for is uh, I've been accused of being in that, and then whenever he plays well and you, you praise him like we've been praising him for two weeks, then you get, a, you get accused of being the Kirk apologist or whatever. I would imagine that they'll go for the, uh, you know, this sets up the COVID meltdown where he's not vaccinated uh, but you know to me he has played well even in Cincinnati I mean the, the, there was one time where he held the ball and got sacked near the near his own goal line and but a lot of that was just he just didn't have he's not you gotta look at Kirk who he is and he needs protection like he's had the last two weeks he doesn't get it he's not gonna create things he's not gonna be Kyler Murray even though he outrushed Kyler Murray uh, so yeah what he's done is at the end of halves and at the end of games has put them in position to, you know, the first week, Greg Joseph kicks the 53 yarder because Kirk moves him down the field, yeah. moved him down the field to, you know, to win the, to try and win the game in overtime and, and Dalvin fumbles. Uh, so he's done that three weeks now where, you know, this time last year we were seeing kind of, uh, I think the Titans game, some other games where, Okay, here, here's Kirk. Here's what you're getting paid for. And then we had like you'd have like a 30 second three and out where you're like, that's it. That's all he's got. And now we're seeing Kirk uh, really move this team in the two minute drill. And it's uh, it's been fun to watch. That absolutely has been. I mean, I'm just wondering why one of the few passes he didn't complete was the throwing of his shoe behind him. But uh, you know what? What's changed? I mean, I think this is what the the anti Kirk crowd is always. You know crave for someone that's going to take charge at the end of these halves and and really lead the team down. Kirk will do it has done it occasionally, but I don't think he's done it consistently. I mean, I, we saw on Monday night when flipping Aaron Rodgers who was 37 seconds moves his team into field goal range and, and wins the, the game. whole world knew whole world knew that was going to happen. Exactly. Yeah. That's my point. And with Kirk, it's just the opposite because, you know, he hasn't done it consistently enough. I didn't have, you know, I, maybe the confidence is building there, 
uh, around Kirk, but you know, uh, it doesn't have that. My, my knock on him has always been, and I think he's, he's a decent quarterback, but he's not going to take the Vikings to the promised land because he doesn't have that it or whatever it is that you need at the end of halves or the end of games to win. And, and it seems like he's starting to show it. Is it because he got so r- r- railed on for his, his anti-vax stance or, or <laughs> is it something else? I mean, what's, what's, what's going on? I mean, that Judd Zolgan talked, I, I saw, I tweeted something on a friend of both of ours and a former colleague of, of yours, uh, said that uh, his willingness to get rid of the ball quickly this season is making a huge difference. Do you see that out there? Is, is that part of what's what's going on with Kirk? Well, what's going on with Kirk is that the offensive line's protecting him. I mean, yeah. just watch the game and just watch where the pocket right in front of him, whenever he's making these throws, I mean, he's his accuracy is what you pay him for. His decision-making is what you pay him for. Uh, but when he, he can't, doesn't have the time to do that, then he's of basically of little use to you because he's not going to scramble on a consistently a consistent basis. He's not going to scramble around and and find a guy off you know off uh, kilter or whatever you know he's just off, off script or whatever however you want to phrase it. Uh, he's not going to do that. But whenever he's looking around and he can step up and Bradbury's not sitting in his lap or. You know, the guard isn't holding someone uh, and he fires it. Uh, he's going to find the open guy and he's going to and there and it's going to work. Um, you know, you, you brought up Cook not being there and, and uh, Alexander Madison having a great game, a career game in some uh, in some aspects. He rushed 26 times for 112 yards and he had uh, six catches for 59 yards receiving. And uh you know, granted, he hasn't had the opportunity, but given the opportunity, he showed he did really well. Uh, how much of it is the improved offensive line? How much of it is perhaps he doesn't get the attention that Cook does when he's in the game? How much of it is uh, anything else? And what will they, the Vikings do going forward, knowing that they have this kind of offense with, uh, with Madison in there? I mean, do they start, you know, giving Cook even less uh, opportunities and to keep him healthy and, and and put Madison in there a little bit more than they even already do. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I think it's, uh, you know, uh, Cook is a great back and Madison good is a really, really good back, a good backup. Uh, I think what it is is um, uh, offensive line. I mean, it's the offensive line where they're playing. Madison can do these things. And, and where whereas Cook's yardage can be explosive, uh, you know, big chunks, and, and uh, he can make certain moves that where he can go all the way. Uh, whereas Madison was more of a, I don't want to say plotting, because he's better than a plotter, uh, but, you know, they just wore down Seattle, and in that fourth quarter, it's first and 10, and everyone knows they're going to run the ball, and he gets 24 yards because the offensive line, and he are in such a groove, and they're just overpowering Seattle. So, yeah, it's an offensive line. He probably doesn't get as much attention. Uh, as because a cook would, because the great players get the attention, and mm-hmm. he's you know in situations like this, he's good. He's great to have. You wouldn't want him to play an entire season as your starter because Cook is so good. They're going to need that. Like Cleveland, Cleveland's a, a, is a more talented team. They're going to need Dalvin Cook if they want to beat Cleveland. Uh, a couple quick hitters for you: Everson Griffin with the sack, but was right after he uh, had a really dumb roughing the passer penalty. 
we've kind of seen those things before from him, but it was still nice to see uh, Griff making some moves, doing a spin move and getting in the backfield and wreaking some havoc. Uh, uh, that that really bodes well for the defensive line going forward, eh? Yeah, I, I think his roughing came later, I'm pretty sure. Um, I think it was later, but, you know, I didn't like that penalty. I, it gave him a little nudge, and I think, I think Wilson flopped a little bit. Uh, yeah, I'm having a problem with, you know, I guess old school. I, I don't want to see a guy come breaking through and, and go helmet to helmet with a quarterback or throw him over his back like Joe Turkey Jones of the Browns in the 70s against the Steelers. Uh, but, you know, some of this stuff is just out of control. It's, you know, there was one, yeah, I mean, it was a cut in the college game where a guy comes through the middle and tackles around the waist, and they said it was too low, and then they, you know, penalty. So, um I thought Griffin played really well, but but on that sack, you know, if you go back and watch it, I wish I had gone back and because I wrote about it in, in Monday's paper. I uh, would like to have watched it again, which I could have found it somewhere. But um, just to what was going on around him, I mean, on the outside, uh, uh, Tomlinson had pressure, uh, Daniil had pressure on the other side. So it's like if if Griffin if Griffin didn't get him, one of those other four were going to get him. It was because it was it, the rush was so intense. And a lot of that has to do with, you know, I'm not saying they're totally different at home, but they're because they're good anywhere. Daniel Hunter is good at every place. Uh, Everson, when he's in shape and, and, and uh, football ready, is uh, going to be good anywhere. But when they're at home with that crowd, I mean, they could be lights out. And that's probably that's one thing they need to really take advantage of this week. Maybe, uh, maybe it. That nudge is or taking that penalty is 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 good for the defense in its accumulative effect. You talked earlier about how even Russell Wilson got a little gun shy later, and so maybe that's that's stuff that you want to do just to make that. And there there was a time yeah. early in the game when when Cousins got shoved down too, no call of course, but it was after he got the ball out. But. Yeah, I mean they're, they, they're the three penalties that they that you know like I said they had the one at the end for the delay of game which was nothing, uh, but. Three that they had, you know, they uh, Bradbury has a holding penalty in the red zone. Normally, that will cause you to either settle for a field goal or blow it. They they come back with the touchdown to Thielen, uh, third and thirteen. Uh, there was a uh, illegal block on a punt return uh, that put him. They would have had the ball like at the forty. It put him back at like the fifteen. They went down and still kicked the field goal. And then Griffin's penalty, they still that was uh, that drive ended with the fourth and ten or fourth and twelve, the incompletion in the end zone, the deep ball. So none of their penalties hurt them. They only had three of them, but none of them hurt them. Um, Greg Joseph is off the hot seat for a, for a week anyway. Uh, I guess he was perfect on six kicks, three field goals, and which was all scored in the second half. It was great that he came through. Um, then this came on a day when, when, when a rare occurrence, an opposing kicker missed a kick against the Vikings, and uh, Justin Tucker hit a 66-yard field goal to set the NFL record against the Port Lions. And I, how I wrote to you, I said, for crying out loud, isn't Tucker 66 years old? For crying out loud, he's been in the the league. But uh, what a day for kickers, at least a couple of them, anyway. So that, that's that's nice for Joseph and and. Uh, uh, as far as Zimmer is concerned, I suspect that's just what he's supposed to do, and everything else that doesn't rise to that is 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 a demerit. But uh, for one day, 
Uh, he's singing his praises a little bit. And the other, the other thing he did was, because uh, this guy, could he could have a touchback anytime he wants. Uh, they could never have to cover a kick again uh, the way he kicks way that he kicks off. But what he also did was uh, they started like wanting to put it high enough to where they could pin them, pin the Seahawks inside the 25. And I don't have the numbers in front of me, but uh, he did that a couple times uh, where he kicked it right to the goal line and they have to, they're forced to return it. And the Vikings, who were terrible in coverage that last year, tackles the guy inside the 25. So that's, you know, that's another uh, thing that goes unnoticed, I think, with uh, with. The receiving was was great. When you got a great quarterback performance, you better have some receivers. Seventy seven receptions, seventy yards, and a touchdown for uh, Tyler Conklin. Said his name's his first name's Tyler, isn't it? Uh, Justin Jefferson nine one eighteen for a score, and his first big game this year. And and Thielen, uh, Mister Reliable, six for fifty and a score. Was this more uh, a product of great play by the Vikings or a porous secondary for the Seahawks? Do you think? I mean, we'll see. I mean, uh, the secondary had to cover, you know, they had, because of the protection, they had to cover longer. Uh, K.J. Osborne had some catches too, uh, some key catches, and Kirk got crushed on that one, I think, third down play where he, he gets it out to, I think it was K.J. Uh, yeah. you know, so, you know, Kirk also did some things when he, when he was getting hit. Uh, so, yeah, th- this is what you can do. This is what Kirk Cousins can do. Uh, spreading it around whenever he has time. But, yeah, I mean, there were a lot of – I mean, it'll be interesting going forward because you go back and watch that game, there's a lot of receivers that were wide open just with, <laughs> you know, tracks of land around them. So uh, it's definitely not the legion of boom that uh, we're used to uh, with Seattle. Uh, but we'll see see going forward. If, if Kirk gets that time, he's still going to complete a lot of those. He did hang in there for and took some shots, one of them famously on that play you mentioned. Uh, and he's done that in the past, sporadically. He's not going to do that like Favre in the NFC Championship game in 2009 and just get beat the hell up and, and, and take a licking and keep on ticking. But uh, um, is, he, is, this, is this mad Kirk all of a sudden frustrated with the two losses and knowing that his reputation's on the line is coming out and giving his all? Because I, I see him as more of a – protective happy feet quarterback more often than I see him standing in seeing that rush coming and, and taking the shot I don't want him to take the shots I want him to be protected because I don't like our backup situation yet but I'd like to see more of this from Kurt where he's just you know landed on the line to to, to get that pass completed well yeah I think that uh, you could do that when it's occasionally you know when it's every third down and you're you got someone in, you got two guys in your face and the, and the pockets closed in, closed in on you you know you're not going to do that but you know that was a, a rare occasion in that game where he had, had a quick pressure right at him uh, and you know to, to, to do that's great uh, but consistently he's not going to be a guy that's going to function when uh, with you know and, and you know, he's a pocket passer. Uh, yeah, he, he can get out and move, but he's basically a pocket passer, and uh, those are just not too many of them in the league. Yeah. Well, you know, this, now we're going to talk about what went wrong. Uh, not much, so maybe this is the time to take a break, huh? We will uh, be back with uh, the next segment of uh, Vikings Territory Breakdown. We're going to talk about uh, what's coming next week. Those big bad Browns that Mark knows so well, and uh, We'll talk about that then and uh, 
We'll see you after the break. All right, welcome back to Vikings Territory Breakdown with myself and Mark Craig from the Star Tribune. Um, before we uh, get into the Browns, let's talk about that pick from last week. You picked the Vikings, even with Dalvin out. Pretty gutsy, but I picked uh, Seattle for the reverse jinx. And I know <laughs> I, I, uh, I, you know, I was, mine was a cumulative. I, I rarely pick against the Vikings. And as a result, I've had a pretty good record over time because the Vikings, you know, are one of the top five teams since they've been in the league for record. You know, they don't have the Super Bowl championships, but they've had decent teams, which is why they don't get those big quarterbacks out of the draft. They don't ever suck so bad that they get a, a pick in the top three. But um, so my record has been pretty good. However, I picked against them, and I'm going to go with reverse jinx. I saw I saw you talking with reverse drinks. You thought they were going to lose. Come on, reverse drinks. I did. I, did. Is, I, uh, I didn't feel good about it at all. Not with uh, not with the record against Seattle, and and not with the way they had played. I didn't know who were the real Vikings were yet, but but you obviously. I never. I, I I never once that week. Uh, like I said, uh, until well, maybe when Dalvin would dip on Sunday for kickoff uh, when Dalvin was officially out. But I I just never got the feeling the Vikings were going to lose that game. I just felt coming home uh, was going to be a big in the way they had played against Arizona. So do you know, we that, look? Do we look at the first two games differently now? I mean that that's the that's this this uh, um, this league. You know, week to week, you have all this time to think about what happened and, and what's going to happen. The first two weeks were a disaster. They should have won by that first game going in. They didn't. They could have won it, but they fumbled at the end. And then you lose the second one by uh, a missed field goal, which should have told you they're still a pretty good team because they played a really good team at home and had the game in hand. Uh, do we have, do we, do we think they're a better team now than most of us were thinking? I mean, there's people saying they should tank after the first two losses. I mean, you know, I, I know it's silly and, and, and that's overreact, react, reaction, what have you. But you think? <laughs> what do, what do we think of them now, Mark? Is, do we, are we starting to see the team that, that certainly Zim envisioned when he rebuilt the defense and, and, uh, you know, uh, has the weapons that he's got on offense. I mean, because he talked about it. He was saying early on, and a lot of the players would come on and say, yeah, we've got a pretty good team this year, you know. And, and you know, some people say that no matter what they got. But, you know, it, it sounded like some of them were feeling it this year. Well, I would, I would say the first week was a disaster. Um, when, when you are when you have a false start before your season starts, officially starts, that's a, you know, that's, that's a sign of a disastrous afternoon. Um you know the penalties. Uh, their only turnover came in that first uh, first game. You know, week two to me was not a disaster. I know we talked about it last week, but you know, Kyler Murray in that offense, <laughs> there's a lot of weapons there, and I, I know that he had 400 yards, but I think overall the Vikings played him pretty well. And you know, there were obviously some breakdowns, big time breakdowns, but uh, I don't put week two at, on the road against that team in the disaster mode. I put the first week, um, it's it's probably too bad they couldn't play this, you know, the Bengals a little bit later. I think the Bengals being home and and, and and teams not using the off season to get ready for week one anymore, other than just stay healthy. Uh, that hurt them. Uh, they just weren't ready to play in that game uh, and being on the road. Uh, first time in front of fans in a while. Uh, so I, they, they, they should have won that game because 
they're, they're better than, than Cincinnati. I don't know that they're better than Arizona. So they played Arizona at home and played well play at their place. So, uh, and then I put this game in, in this, uh, category of, yeah, this, uh, uh, this is what Zimmer envisions whenever you have an entirely new defensive line. Um, and Everson Griffin coming back as a situational rusher, Sheldon Richardson being a backup. I mean, he's a starting caliber player. He's a situational pass rusher inside. Uh, and so is Everson can rush inside or outside. So this is what Zim envisions whenever you have a pass rush and you have crowd, you know, fans in the stands and your offense plays the way that uh, it can play when the offensive line plays well. One thing we didn't mention about the defense, what about the secondary? Are, are uh, some, some alert to go on there? I know they shut down DK Metcalf in the second half because they started playing better. Should we be concerned going forward? Because, you know, there's, you know, there's going to be good, more good quarterbacks coming in and, what have you? Is the uh, Breland Dantzler situation should that should something happen there? What What are your thoughts on the Vikings secondary as a whole? Well, I don't think Dantzler did himself any favors by tweeting after the game that uh, I've held my mouth, I've shut my mouth long enough, or whatever. Uh, you know, come on, guy. I mean, how, how stupid can you be? I mean, you're probably on the verge if you if you keep your mouth shut and you and you head down and and be a pro you can probably overtake Breland or at least get an opportunity to. Now I don't know if he does get that opportunity because of the way he acted. Uh, you know, Breland, I'd still be concerned about Breland. I don't understand some of the times where he leaves the cushions that he leaves. Uh, if, he, if he's not able to cover a guy without that kind of cushion, then he's got to be replaced. Uh, Woods missed a big tackle uh, on that long thing across the middle after the guy faked out uh, Peterson and, uh, Metcalf faked out Peterson and, and Woods is there in position to make a tackle and he misses. Um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be like an alarm by the secondary other than maybe Breland, but uh, you know, they, they got a lot more uh, to show us and, you know, they got a, and they have, they didn't play at all together in the preseason. So they're kind of feeling their way as they go along too, but I'd be interested to see if Dantzler gets an opportunity. Uh, if Zimmer reaches a point where he feels he might start playing him more rather than just an injury situation. I heard uh, Barr has been starting to get on the field. <laughs> um, two point question: Are are you know are we okay without him? Nick Vigil's doing pr- pretty well so far, and will that allow them to be more cautious with uh, with Barb? And the other part of it is, you think we'll see him this week, and will that help coverage getting Barr out there, a healthy Barr? Anyway? Yeah, I mean, I'd like to see Barr in there just to see, you know, to compare where because we haven't seen him in 19 games or whatever it is. Um, you know, and he's got that knee problem that bothers him. And, you know, uh, Vigil has played really well. Uh, let's see. Let's see. You know, Barr's physically a more gifted player, uh, but let's see. And he's obviously, although Vigil knows the defense too, but Barr knows it better than anyone on that field other than maybe Kendricks. Mm-hmm. So be interested to see him uh but you know they're not what's good is that they went out and got vigil who's who knows the defense who's a much better player than i think any of us gave gave him credit for um now when bar comes back yeah the three of them will play in the base but you probably don't see the base defense a whole lot so that would really take time away from vigil uh let's see if bar can earn it if bar comes in and, and doesn't earn it then put vigil back in 
Don't look at the contracts. Put Vigil in and and ride him. All right. Well, I'll that that that's that's all good points. I'd I'd like to see it as well. But it's it's time to go to the Mark's favorite segment of this entire year, talking about the Cleveland Browns. I'm going to tee up a little bit here. I mean, there's a lot of storylines to fancy coming home. And he's probably feeling pretty good after dismantling. I mean, he's at two and one. And he's just dismantled the Bears. I mean, that was what what they did to Justin Fields was quite amazing. Um, uh, OBJ is back, and uh, they got the two headed monster in the backfield. Both of them looked really strong. I mean, Kareem Hunt and uh, and Nick Chubb. I mean, uh, there's there's you know, pick your poison on that one because they both seem to be running real well. Probably has a lot to do with their offensive line. On the other side of the ball, we got old Miles Garrett, who's going to be looking to uh, do a uh, repeat last week. Four sacks last week, is that right? Yeah, four and a half sacks last week, <clears throat> and also Clowney on the other side had two sacks. So, uh, yeah, they they had nine sacks. Uh, Justin Fields, for one who wanted Justin Fields, you got him. Uh, uh, I think he's going to be a good player, and but if you're going to play him, first of all, don't don't treat him like he's Andy Dalton. Don't put him in the same de- offense. Do something to take advantage of who he is. Uh, an inexperienced rookie that can run and hurt you that way. He, he can't play like Andy Dalton in the pocket. Um, he had 67 or 68 yards passing and 67 yards in sacks. So they had net one yard uh, pass. Uh, now, obviously, they are not going to do that to the to the Vikings in in Minnesota, uh, but. You know, this is going to be a much tougher test uh, for that offensive line than what they what they got on against Seattle. Um, how is it fun for you to to see that coming from the Browns and see where they're kind of ascending here? I mean, it's it's been, you know, uh, they've been building for a while, and Stefanski comes in and they got a coach that that is really really knows what he's doing, I think, in which many people in this town would like to see coaching the Vikings, but. Uh, um, you know, I, I know you're a longtime fan, and certainly your brother, your brother was a a, a longtime fan of suffering with with some of the Browns. I, I gotta admit that, you know, just because of the Vikings wall, that before this game on Sunday, I played the Factory of Sadness for for many of my relatives, just saying this is huh. this yeah. is what the Vikings are right now. But uh, um, what are your thoughts? How's how's it how's it for you? You know, to 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 watch this team just getting getting better and better. Well, I know what Stefanski didn't get the job that, uh, that uh, Freddie Hitchens, uh, Hitchens got, uh, he went there and interviewed and uh, didn't get the job. And I was joking with him. I said, you don't want that job. It's, it's a, it's a resume killer for a young guy, you know? Uh, and then he got the job. I was like, Hey, go get him, you know? Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, Kevin is a special, uh, has a special way about him that I think uh, endears himself to, Old school guys, new school guys, today's players, uh, former players. Just uh, I always say that he, you know, he knows he has two ears and one mouth, and he listens twice as much as he, you know, talks. And he just has a, a, a patient way about him that I think uh, you know players really play hard for him. And, and he's very organized, and and he has a very great way of communicating that organization. Now to come in there into Cleveland. After what Freddie did the year before, with all those expectations, you know, yeah, and take that talent and, and put together what they did last year with eleven wins, it was one of the easiest. I have the vote for All Pro Coach of the Year and all that stuff. It's one of the easiest votes I've ever cast. Was 
you look at a team that a franchise that was a disaster, a laughing stock for over 20 years, trying to, to find some kind of footing in this, in this league, in the hardest division in, in football. And then he comes in and does that in his first year with COVID uh, with, with not even really seeing his team in person uh, until training camp. Uh, one of the best coaching jobs that you'll ever see. Yeah, that's that that's hard to deny that. Uh, you know, so he's he's got that team and they're and they're believing in him. What any other keys to this game stick out for you that you see coming forward? Well, I think, you know, the offensive line, you know, Cleveland talked about improving the offensive line and then did it in a year or two. Um the, the two running backs, I mean, uh either one can hurt you and they both have just uh I mean, they're both starting backs. I mean, they're both legitimate number one backs. They combined like uh, 32 carries for 165 yards and a touchdown. Now you have Beckham back, uh, and, and he hasn't created any problems off the field yet or, or just not being happy or, or being unhappy or whatever. Uh, he looked good on, uh, yeah, I think he had five catches for 77 yards, but you can just tell he's a threat that you know, teams are going to be looking at. When you're looking at him, here come the two running backs behind a really good offensive line. Baker Mayfield is very accurate. Um, the defense, you know, it, that offense, Vikings offensive line is going to have their hands full with that, that front line. Um, you know, it, what helps the Vikings is being at home. Being at home with that third down, if Baker Mayfield is in third and eight, and that crowd gets going, and there's no, they don't jump off sides, they don't rough the passer, they don't hold, they don't pass interference. The two, the fans and the defense can work together to beat them. What about but, this uh, coaching matchup? Uh, Kevin Stefanski was the offensive coordinator for here one year, and prior to that, he had uh, got a history with this team, fourteen years. And so, Mike Zimmer knows him, and they know each other's tendencies a little bit. You got an offensive guy going against a defensive coach. So, uh, what do you think about that matchup? Who? Who has the advantage in, in that familiarity with each other over those years? Uh, probably offsets each other. Um, it's fun because, uh, you know, Stefanski, as all offensive coordinators under a defensive coach, especially a guy like Zimmer, probably wasn't running everything he wanted to run because he had to go through Zimmer. Uh, now, you know, Kevin can be – I mean – one, one thing I really like about Kevin is he came up the old way. I mean, he, he, he learned under so many guys. He's still young, but he learned under so many different offenses. I mean, offenses that are completely different and do different things. Uh, Norv Turner's offense goes back to the Ernie Zampezi style. He learned under Chile with the West Coast and Kubiak with his style. Uh, Shermer. Uh, so he's kind of had all this put together. In it, and you, you look at Cleveland and you see so many different ways now one reason they're able to do that is because they got a really good offensive line they got a quarterback that's you know progressing and and obviously no one's probably more the guy doesn't lack confidence let's put it that way and they got some they got receivers now Landry I don't think will play uh but you know Beckham and and they got some tight ends uh so it's gonna be Zim's gonna have his hands full but I think where the advantage lies in that matchup you talk about is Zim has the crowd which I you know, really can't emphasize enough what, what that does to a team coming in here. Um, it, it's going to be a, ma- uh, a heck of a matchup either way between these two teams. you got 
Cleveland, like I said, they're two and one and, and the Vikings coming off, you know, a win. I mean, they, they, they played a decent game in Arizona and they played a great game this past weekend. So they, they in a way they're trending, but I think, you know, just there, there's an emotional component to this and there's always that letdown after a big win. So, uh, you have to fear that now. Granted, they are at home; they will be pumped up, and you have to play week to week in this league. You can't let those highs and lows uh, knock you off the rails. But uh, as as a as 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 a purple fan from from my formative days, I'm 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 going to go with the uh, the anti jinx and and pick Cleveland this week just to just to get to rile them up, and because I know they listen to this broadcast every week and. Uh, yeah. And so, Mark, you know, nobody really care, gives a crap about what I think. They, they want to know who you're picking in this matchup between the team you've covered for 19 or for for uh, how many years, you know, decades, and and uh, a team you grew up uh, watching. What what are you going to do, big big guy, huh? <laughs> At least you're calling your anti-jinx this time. Yeah. Yes, I am. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I like Cleveland. Um, it it so, makes me – I hesitate because where it's it's here, uh, but I think the Browns um, are the more talented team overall. Uh, I like I like I mean the Vikings are I, I, it's such a close matchup, and I should be taking the home team, but kind of the ebb and flow of an NFL season. Uh, you know, granted the, the the Browns had a I mean the Browns had a layup last week. I mean they got Justin Fields, Bears had no chance of winning that game in Cleveland. Now they come and they're playing a much better team on the road. Uh, I like the Browns, but I like it in a close game, and I would not be shocked if the Vikings uh, do what we all kind of said they needed to do, be two and two after after four games. They'll just do it uh, the complete, probably the uh, opposite. They're going to do it. If they get the two and two, let's put it this way, it will be the opposite of how all of us you know, geniuses said they needed to do it. Oh, you need to go beat Cincinnati. You need to beat Arizona. And then, well, you might lose. You'll lose to Seattle. You lose to Cleveland. Well, they're going to do it the opposite way if they beat Cleveland. Oh, man, it's going to be a good game. I can't wait. Uh, um, so with that, we'll, uh, we'll end the segment and uh, uh, be back after these ads for uh, a final segment of the NFL Insider and uh, talk about what's gone on uh, in the NFL this past week. And uh, join us for that. Welcome back to Vikings Territory Breakdown. Uh, with, uh, myself, Joe O'Reilly, with uh, my cohort, uh, Orson Wells. Uh, Orson, uh, no, I'm kidding, Mark Craig, uh, from the Star Tribune. Mark, uh, pack, uh, just to run down a few few things that happened in, in uh, the NFL this week. There was a big game uh, on Sunday. The Packers eked out one in San Francisco to keep the division lead. It was uh, – uh, big one for them, but I don't think it should have happened. Uh, at that last drive, the San Francisco defense just sat back and let let Aaron Rodgers deal and move up the field and get in position for, like you said earlier, in the, when we were talking, that everybody knew was going to happen. And it's, you know, he looked fallible before that. Uh, the defense played well and held him in check, and 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 Garoppolo actually moved the team down, got him in position. Wish they, you know, hadn't scored so quickly because of that, but. Damn, they should they should have taken down the Packers and the Vikings should be tied for first place. Yeah. Well, yeah, you look at what Garoppolo did. I mean, my goodness, uh, talk about the pressure that that guy's under to to keep his job and 
uh, you know, is beating Aaron Rodgers on prime time, goes down the field, and his only thing that he did wrong was he threw a great pass that, that put the guy in the end zone too soon. <laughs> and and Aaron Rodgers, you could just see it in his eyes. You could see it in Mason Crosby's eyes. Here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to complete two passes. We're going to kick the field goal, and, and that's what they do. I, but you're seeing a lot of that. I mean, now we're up to – in three weeks, we've had 10 games decided on a last-second field goal uh, or overtime. You know, nine of them are make-makes, and uh, the, your Vikings have the one deciding – that got decided with by a miss. So uh, it's every week. It's uh, – you know, Atlanta kicks a 40-yard field goal at, with the, at the buzzer. Uh, we saw the 66-yarder from ba- uh, Baltimore – not only 66 yards, but it hits the crossbar and kind of slow motion goes over the, the crossbar. Daniel Carlson, uh, as we all we all know who oh that my. is, kicks in overtime. Uh, they kicked two in overtime, which you know, he got released in uh, after he missed two against the Packers in over uh, overtime, I believe. That's correct. Three total. Yep. So uh, you're just seeing it every week. Uh, it's more emphasis on the kicking game, right? I mean, you know, it, it seems an afterthought with this head coach here in town at times, you know, because total frustration, get rid of somebody, we'll get somebody else. We got this guy, you know, uh, living on a week-to-week thread. But, you know. Yeah, I, 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 Carlson, I mean, I had the same feeling. I think a lot of us had that same feeling that this guy is done in here. I mean, it was so strange for it to be so early. Now, yeah. he's never going to succeed. Uh, you know, maybe that's too knee-jerk. Um, but what I also like is, uh, talking about just, you know, you know, what's going to happen. Like, you know, Aaron Rodgers is going to come down and score. One thing I like about Brandon Staley, a rookie coach for the chargers, what he did, it's fourth and four. It is at the 30 yard line or whatever. He passes up in the closing minute. He passes up a 48 yard field goal to go for it against the chiefs. Cause he knows what's going to happen if he kicks a field goal and all, uh, Mahomes needs to do is a field goal. So they fall start. He just says, I'm still going to go for it. Fourth and nine, he goes for it, gets the first down. They score a touchdown, and they beat – they missed an extra point, but they beat the Chiefs by six points. These are the kind of decisions that have to be made based on who you're – it's not – to me, it's not all just analytics, like just taking all these uh, numbers and putting them together without any faces to them. Uh, when you're playing Patrick Mahomes, you got to do that. When you're playing Aaron Rodgers – you got to do that when, when it's the situation calls for it. It's just, you've got to be aggressive and not leave it up to the kickers. I saw just before we got on, start talking, uh, uh, a power rankings come down. I'm never, I'm not a huge power rankings guy. I like to see where the Vikings are and see who's, who's, who's doing well and who's up top. And the Packers are the fourth best team in the league. Of course, according to this one, uh, do you think that's, <laughs> do you think that's accurate? Yeah, I didn't like them either, and I did them for years. Uh, we finally got away from that, thank God. We oh, do no. like. I used to read yours every year. Yeah, uh, it's just like moving puzzles around the board. You know, you just yeah. who, who knows. Um, but yeah, we do the top two, the bottom two, and then where are the Vikings? So I got to still kind of kind of read where the Vikings were. I put them at eighteen. I put them ahead of the five zero and twos or zero and threes, and then all of the one and twos except for the Chiefs, which I uh, would still take the Chiefs over the Vikings. Interesting. I, uh, um, 
I don't like seeing the Packers in fourth, but uh, you know, uh, hopefully when the Vikings get their chance to play them, they they show them what they got. So, uh, the Mighty Bucks went down. Uh, Stafford and the Rams, they were, you know, I, I, I wrote this to you before I saw it, but they were, I, are they the best team in, in the NFL? And that's what this power ranking put them at. Uh, they look really good right now. And, and Stafford, <laughs> yeah. this guy's got a new lease on life and a couple good receivers. They're a tough team. Well, I mean, they're, they're, um, you know, I still, I would still take what Detroit got for him because he, you know, Detroit's not going to win the Super Bowl with, with Stafford. Right. They're starting, they're starting over yet again. So I would take those draft picks in a heartbeat for Stafford at his age. But after three weeks, it's exactly what Sean McVay and the Rams said that they needed to take the next step. Now, they got a long way to go, and Stafford's got to stay healthy and all this. Uh, But so far, I mean, he's playing lights out. He's playing exactly the way that they want him to play. He's on the same page with, with Cooper Cup like they've been together for 10 years. Um, the defense is the best defense in football last year, and, and Aaron Donald against Tom Brady. I mean, uh, the answer to Tom Brady might be Aaron Donald because that pressure up the middle changes the way changes who Brady is. It changes his rhythm. There's not too many people that can change that rhythm of what he can do, and uh, the Rams found a way to do it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think the Rams are the best team in football right now. Uh, I still, I'd probably, you know, the Bucks are up there. Raiders, I like the Raiders, um, and obviously, you know, Packers are are right there. Yeah, unfortunately, you sent me a note about uh, the rookie QBs. You've been kind of tracking them for us the the past few weeks. Uh, what do you got about? What do you got on them for us this week? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, and, and you know, rookies are still rookies. I mean, we all want to see rookies play. We all, you know. Uh, some of them are magical. I mean, Peyton Manning, his first year, set the record for rookie interceptions with 28. Well, right now, Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson have seven interceptions, which puts them on a pace for 39 or 40 uh, with a 17th game. You know, so great. they're going to be good players. I, I think Lawrence is going to be a good player. Uh, Wilson, I, I don't know. I mean, he looks really, really confused. Um, but, yeah, all five of those guys started are – Five, there were five rookies that started. Uh, Davis Davis Mills started for the Houston on on Thursday. They went 0-5, seven interceptions, two pick sixes. Uh, rookie starters uh, quarterback this year are 1-10, and, and the only reason they got the win is because Mac Jones beat Zach Wilson head-to-head. So, uh, you know, uh, they're going to be – most of them are going to be good players. Uh, but, you know, if you're going to start rookies, this is what, you know – I like when they start this many rookies because it makes the survivor pool picks a lot easier. <laughs> it's like you you find who the Jets are playing and you take the other team, and it's uh, whether they're on the road or not. So, and he also also looking around the NFL, Teddy Bridgewater three and zero, Broncos are three and zero. Now, the, granted, the three teams they beat are zero and nine, and they play the Ravens this week, so we'll see a little bit more about uh, the Teddy magic out there. But uh, Teddy's looked really good, and the and the Broncos are looking. I saw a tweet that said uh, 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 the Vikings won this game on Sunday and not one of their rookies played. And so they were then therefore calling the draft, the 2021 draft, a bust. A little premature, I think, on that. Yeah. Would you agree? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the kick returner as a rookie, um, he played. That's true. Uh, I Off the top of my head, I don't. 
but yeah, I mean, you're seeing around the league, you're seeing the Packers with that corner uh, playing extremely well. Uh, Denver with uh, with its cornerback, uh, ninth overall pick that they took a lot of heat for by, by not taking Fields or Mac Jones. Uh, so they're three and zero with Teddy, who they gave up a sixth round pick for. Again, granted, all this is all early, but uh, you talk about a move uh, getting Teddy for a sixth round pick and being one of those teams that changed quarterbacks, and that's all it took you to get your new quarterback. Uh, that's paying off pretty well so far. But yeah, I mean, you know. <laughs> It's way too early to be to say it's a bust because Darisaw as a left tackle, if he's what they thought he was or think he is, uh, you know, this is you won't even remember it in when he's you know an established starter. Right. Uh, starting to look less likely, like, like it'll be anytime soon. But even though he's practicing, mm-hmm. uh, if they keep the offensive line keeps playing the way it is, he's not going to see the field. It'd be they'd be stupid to like put just because he's a first round draft pick. And they're rolling on the offensive line to put him in. You just don't do that, just so you can say, "Hey, we used our our draft pick." Right. And and Zim doesn't like playing rookies anyway. Uh, he he likes to, you know, certainly at cornerbacks and such. He likes to season them a little bit before, he, unless he has to. Play them. Well, yeah, like last year. I mean, they and even he admitted they 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 whiffed on that uh, on thinking that they that they could let all that experience go at corner and then fill it with all rookies. Uh, especially then when then when the pass when they lost to Neil in the pass rush it was the perfect storm I mean he had no pass rush and he had rookies at corner and no fans in the stands so it was uh it was a nightmare for them one last question for you Mark Uh, I I've kind of tuned in the last few couple weeks and really enjoyed it on Monday Night Football watching the the Mannings on Monday Night Football I don't know if you've seen it uh, I have not seen it yeah um, it, it's, it's worthwhile tuning in. I haven't sat there the whole time because I keep forgetting that it's on, but, uh, it's fun. They have some great guests. I mean, they had Charles Barkley on there. They had last night, they had Nick Saban and, uh, one of the long brothers, uh, they had, uh, you know, just friends of theirs that come on and, and, and it, it's insightful, you know, to watch it because you got these two guys who really know the quarterback position and they can really, tell you what they're seeing coming from the offenses on the field. So I, I, I think it's worthwhile and it's starting to, you know, pick up steam. Whereas, uh, you know, they're not coming back for about until week seven or eight. I think it's, you know, for, for the room sitting on his couch, it's funny too. I mean, last night, uh, Eli Manning flipped off the crowd showing, you know, whoever was watching, uh, because he was demonstrating what happens when he used to go to Philadelphia, <laughs> you know, that they, he goes, I got flipped off double birds by a nine year old uh, kid. So um, he had to apologize. That's Philly. Pardon, yeah, that is. He had to apologize. That is, that, that is Philly. So I don't know. It's worth tuning in if you, if you get a chance, at, you know, um, uh, you know, just to hear two quarterbacks and, and whoever else talk about it. So I thought I'd bring that up. <laughs> Philly is the only stadium where uh, the fans will turn and pound on the windows where the media is sitting and flip you off and, and you know, taunt you. And it's like, hey, buddy, I- I'm covering the team. I don't care who wins or loses. You know, <laughs> so uh, it, it gets going back to the to the vet when it was uh, covered a game there in the open press box uh, where there's no, you know, there's no window in front of you. It's uh, that's a rough, rough place uh, for Let's put it this way. If I'm a Vikings fan or I'm not a fan of another team, I go and I cheer for my team, but I don't bother. I don't, I wouldn't put a uh, jersey on it. Like I say, if you're over 18 years old, you shouldn't wear a jersey. Yeah. But I, 
stop go strutting into to Philly with a with a the opponent's jersey on. It's not worth it. Hell, the, the Philly fans even went after Millie, that uh, that Vikings fan, when they when they took him on in the NFC Championship. But anyway. well, they're punching horses and everything out there. So you got to be if you're punching horses out there, it's it's hardcore. Yes, it is. Well, on that note, we'll uh, we'll 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 say so long for this week. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to the sponsors. Thanks for for everybody that helps out. Mike in the background. Mark on here and uh we appreciate you you listening downloading watching well watching not so much who wants to see us but that's okay uh we'll be back next week with uh, a, a post uh uh cleveland vikings game and mark will probably be either really i don't know how mark will respond he's a professional journalist he doesn't care who wins he just set it on a record there so so we'll, we'll see what just, happens i just yeah, you're rooting for the uniform. So that's what it is. It's, uh, that's right. The uniform of your childhood. <laughs> well, thanks again, About and, and uh, we'll see you next week with that with that wrap up. And as always, for Joe Skull. <laughs>